Confession. Yeah. I don't fucking like Mickey Mouse. His voice stresses me out. Um, I didn't. His little pant buttons stress me out. His eyes stress me out. <sighs> yeah. Um, the fact that a mouse has a widow's peak stresses me out. I'm not a fan. And when he showers, he comes out with gloves on, doesn't he? When have you seen Mickey shower? <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Yeah! Woohoo! <laughs> it's us. We're back. We are. It's us if you didn't know. <laughs> TO2C. We are back for episode 11. Yes, we cuckoos are, are in the house. Officially in the double digits. I don't know how we did it, but we did. I don't know. We are on a roll. I mean, the fact that we've only hit 11 and we've been doing this since March really shouldn't impress us that much. But yet, it does because there's a pandemic. Well, we took, and a, every, we took a very long hiatus. Like months. Several of them. Yes. But now we're Multiple. back. And we are on we took, a roll. We took hiatai. Hiatai. <laughs> But now we are back, and we are on a roll, and we are going to be consistently coming at you. Indeed. Yeah. Well, it's officially December. It is. I don't know how it happened. I'm not sure. I mean, Thanksgiving's um, over, which is crazy. Yeah, now it's time to fuck the holidays. Yep, yep. And uh, to segue us into that, my topic this week, um, I am going second this week, but my topic is going to slightly kick off the fuck the holiday season um, because <laughs> if you listened to us last time you know how passionately me and Megan feel about the holidays and how much we just love the holiday season it's kind of our thing it's, it's like we live for Christmas live for it so we have a really fun filled episode um, Megan has we been talking about this nonstop for like weeks now <laughs> not weeks but since we ended God, now you're overhyping it and it's gonna fall flat <laughs> no, no 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 you have been so excited about this I think this was a topic that you thought about like when we first started the podcast it was when we first yeah. like changed over to kind of just doing our own thing so you've you've kind of hyped me up you you wanted to tell me things all week and I'm like no I want to be surprised <laughs> yes the time has come the time has come. all will be revealed I am so excited yeah without further ado you want to I'm ready to jump in ready to jump ready in to jump I got in. my swimsuit I am ready I got my swimsuit my flippers all right today I am going to be painting not just a picture but a portrait oh oh we <laughs> upgraded oh oh, oh. oh. oh yes I I'm going to profile for you the lesser known side of one Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. I'm now, so excited. If you know me, and you do. I do. But for those of you who don't, I am the biggest fucking stan for Mozart. It's almost uncomfortable. I, I can vouch for how that. How much I love Mozart. I can vouch for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know how there are girls who are like, oh... I blame Disney for my high standards in men. No, for me, it's not Disney. If you can't write me fucking several operas, uh, symphonies, concertos, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, if you <laughs> if you cannot do that for me, 
adieu. Not not okay? worth not worth your time, right? No. Like Mozart is the fucking man. Like I get it. He a lot of people are like, no, like Beethoven's better because he's like moody or like Tchaikovsky. He was like so interesting. No, no, no. People think Mozart is boring because he's so technically perfect and beautiful and stunning and wonderful and perfect. And he is all of those things. This guy was a lot more approachable than we give him credit for. Well, I I know that you're going to educate us on that for those of us who are the non-believers. Yes, that is why I am here today, to tell you that Mozart is not for people with sticks up their butts. Mozart is for everybody. So for those of you listening, get the sticks out of your ass before you continue listening. And you know what? (laughs) If you have a stick up your butt and you met Mozart, he probably wouldn't have liked you. I know. Sick burn. (laughs) And you know what? Mozart didn't like a lot of people. So You have that in common with him already, (laughs) that you don't like a lot of people. He's my fucking musical soulmate. Remember that time? Um, so we worked. We work for the same entity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have an internal messaging system. And the one day I uh, messaged her, really stressed out and like quite sad because I realized I would never meet Mozart. Yes, it was It was just... Like in the middle of the workday. <laughs> and it was, yeah, there was a lot of emotions going on and I really didn't know to handle that but yeah it was just she had messaged me and it was she had gone down a depression spiral because of this it stresses me out that we'll we'll never meet I will never become his muse well and not that I can sing anyway but you know I would love to I would love him to write an aria for me when when I'm dead uh if we meet in the afterlife I can get a magical voice going on and we can make beautiful around beautiful music together with that aside <laughs> First thing I want to tell you about is Mozart's dirty mouth. Oh. Yes. You know, we love a dirty mouth. We do. And Mozart loved a fucking poop joke and a fart joke. Like, (laughs) if Mozart were a native English speaker, he probably would have called himself Mozart. Like, he (laughs) fucking... I cannot stress this to you enough. And the only way I can explain it is through his actual letters to members of his family. So first, I am going to begin with letters to his cousin, Maria Anna Tecla Mozart. I'm not going to read the entire level letters, but I will <laughs> share you excerpts. Excerpt number one. Dearest, best, most beautiful, most enchanting, little bass or little violoncello, so enraged by a worthless fellow, Salzburg, 10th of May, 1709-er, Blow into my rear. <laughs> Excerpt number two. <laughs> or Zwei, because he was a German cousin? speaker. Yes. Oh. They had a little thing. Um, oh, dear. Okay. All right. <laughs> Excerpt Zwei. Perhaps you think or are even convinced that I am dead, that I have pegged out or hopped a twig. Not at all. Don't believe it, I implore you. For believing and shitting are two very different things. <laughs> Now, how could I be writing such a beautiful hand if I were dead? Whether to make peace with me, you'll be so kind. If not, I swear I'll let one off behind. Does that mean uh, I'm going to You're fart? laughing. Yes. Oh, <laughs> our arses shall be the symbol of our peacemaking. <laughs> I knew that you wouldn't be able to resist me much longer. <laughs> Wait, is that his way of flirting? Yes. Talking about farting. Yes. 
Mozart was amazing. Oh, wow. Okay. 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 I like it. Excerpt <laughs> number three, or drei. <laughs> this one I have a date for. It was November 1777, and this is still to his cousin. We, by the love of my skin, I shit on your nose so it runs down your chin. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's so dirty. I now wish... I know. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Okay. Here comes another one. Okay. I now wish you a good night. Shit in your bed with all your might. Sleep with peace on your mind and try to kiss your own behind. <laughs> oh, my ass burns like fire. What on earth is the meaning of this? Maybe Muck wants to come out? Yes, yes. Muck, I know you, see you, taste you. And what's this? Is it possible? Ye gods, O oh ear of mine, are you deceiving me? No, it's true. What a long and melancholic sound. He's farting. Um, <laughs> now I must relate to you a sad story that happened just this minute. As I am in the middle of my best writing, I hear a noise in the street. I stop writing, get up, go to the window, and the noise is gone. I sit down again, start writing once more. I have barely written 10 words when I hear the noise again. I rise. But as I rise, I can still hear something very faint. It smells like something burning. Wherever I go, it stinks. When I look out the window, the smell goes away. When I turn my head back to the room, the smell comes back. Finally, my mama says to me, I bet you let one go. <laughs> I don't think so, Mama. Yes, yes, I'm quite certain. I put it to the test. Stick my finger in my ass, <laughs> then put it to my nose. And there is the proof. Mama was right. Oh, my God. Yes. What the fuck? Yes. He stuck his finger in his ass to make sure that the smell was the same. <laughs> to see if he was the farter, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Was this, like, yeah, normal I, practice? Okay, so I was going to get to that later, but okay. I will share now just so that we know. It So, to an extent, yes. German and German-language-speaking countries like Austria, um, which is where Mozart's from, they, like, poop and fart humor was really popular oh. in the culture at that time. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't exactly say he was weird, but I also think like probably not everyone wrote like this. Like it probably wasn't like as excessive. It wasn't frowned on, but it wasn't like like the thing like, to he do. Just, yeah, and he has the thing that I want to stress is that he has a shitload of letters. His family's letter collection is very well preserved. So this is just a fraction of what he wrote. But I can tell you that he mentions poop in a lot more letters and farting than what I'm going to share here. <laughs> but also, it's still only a fraction of the sum total. There are many sides to this man, but I am just sharing my favorite sides other than the composer. Um, just so that we can all relate to this wonderful genius a little more <laughs> so he definitely stuck his finger up his ass and smelled it like that it, that happened. i mean he he said that that's a direct quote i imagine he had his pants on and maybe just like <laughs> did a little swipe and was like 
<laughs> I don't know. No. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> and their hygiene. I wish I were. The hygiene then was not up to par. So, like, I could only imagine no. what smells came out of yeah. people. Yeah, so um, he was, he farted and stank up the entire room, and his mom was like, you for sure farted. <laughs> and for some reason, he did not know until he stuck his finger in his ass. Oh, wow. Okay. That is, yeah. Damn. And then wrote this in a letter to his cousin rather than kept it to himself. <laughs> um, I think that's my favorite part. Like, <laughs> He just needed someone to know. I'm just sitting there writing a letter and I farted and like I just like it's almost like he's texting like yeah and just sharing like what's in the moment like I just farted lol I'm writing like, and I keep <laughs> smelling something but oh it's my own ass <laughs> wow wow okay yeah, wow I, I just like that these are his own words it's fucking hysterical this is great this is gold. So that's it for the ones for that he sent to his cousin that I have for you. Okay. But I have some other quotes from letters to his dad. Oh, dear. And his dad, just to mention, because um, I think this is important, this will come into play a little bit later, but his dad, Leopold, he was like the original stage parent. Like, if Mozart were alive today... Mozart's dad would have hoard him off to Disney Channel faster than you can fucking snap your fingers. Oh. Oh, yeah. He was a stage dad. Like, dance moms, like, all that shit. Like, he literally took child Mozart all around the world and, like, just toured him and had him play the piano for people, like, blindfolded or, like, whatever. Like, he just, like, my son's a genius. Like, I'm pretty sure he met Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Like, he was just, his all dad was it. just like, this is my son. <laughs> Here he is. He is very talented. Look at him. I'm going to make him a star. Love him. As I love him. <laughs> yeah, so he pushed him hard. Like, he was working since he was a child. I don't know how much of a real childhood he actually had, which might be part of why his letters are slightly immature. <laughs> so here's the letter to his dad. This was also from 1777. A certain Father Emilian, a conceited jackass and a sorry idiot, was very sweet on my cousin and wished to have his jest with her, but she made a jest of him. At last, when rather tipsy, which soon occurred, he began to talk about music and sang a canon, saying, I never in my life heard anything finer. I said, I regret that I can't sing it with you, for nature has not given me the power of intoning. No matter, said he, so he began. I made the third, but I sang different words. Thus, Potter Emilian, oh you prick, you lick my ass, I beg you. <laughs> Soto voce to my cousin. And then we laughed on for at least half an hour. <laughs> oh my god. He wrote this to his dad. What a potty mouth. <laughs> I know, he was awesome. Um, to his dad, that's what he wrote to his dad. <laughs> yes, he wrote this to his dad. Okay. Wow, he really has and, no boundaries. Uh, yeah, and in another letter um, to his dad, he apparently, <laughs> so a little background on this because I didn't want to include the whole thing, but he used to, when he was in Mannheim, he was staying with the director of the Mannheim Orchestra and his family, and in the evening sometimes he would like entertain them and play for them, mm. and uh, like after dinner or whatever, and <laughs> this is what he says to his father about it. I did frequently without any difficulty, but quite easily perpetrate rhymes. The same being, moreover, sheer garbage. That is, on such subjects as muck shitting and arse licking. <laughs> wow. 
He was just like punking his hosts. <laughs> so he was saying with these people and basically just sang about singing about shit and, shit ass, and licking. ass licking. Nice. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And like he's a genius. So what are they going to say? House guest. Nothing. Nothing. They're just going to sit there and, and, and take it. Amazing. What a cheeky little bastard. I love it. I Right? <laughs> so fucking cheeky. Moving on from the letters, um, there is actually some music that he wrote. Oh. That um, has these toilety themes to it. And here I posit the theory that Mozart probably would not have hated WAP. So everybody who is like... <laughs> Why would you listen to WAP when you could be listening to intelligent music like Mozart? I am here to tell you that Mozart would have appreciated WAP for what it was, which was a way to make money and have fun. Okay. Because ultimately, Mozart was a hustler, and Mozart did what he wanted, and he didn't take no shit, and he liked foul language. Okay. So without further ado, in 1782, our king... (laughs) wrote a little six-voice canon in B-flat major. And a canon, um, in some instances, and definitely in this instance, um, is kind of a round. You know, you probably did this in music class when you were a kid with Row, Row, Row Your Boat, where people come in at different times, but they're singing the same words over and over again. So this song is called Leck Mich im Arsch, and it means Lick Me in the Ass. And uh, the tra- it translates to the more modern expression, kiss my ass, but I prefer lick me in the ass because I think it's so much more visual. Oh, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So lick me in the ass. It's a canon. You can look it up on YouTube. It's a bop. Okay. Literally, it sounds like the song that you could play at your wedding when you're walking down the aisle and nobody would question it, but you would know in your heart. That you were walking down the aisle to a song about ass licking. Got it. Now, I have no desire to have a wedding with a lot of people. But if I were to have to do that, you bet your arsh <laughs> I'd be walking down the aisle to that to that song. Yes, um, yes. I do encourage you to look it up and listen to it because it's a bop. What can I say? It's a great song. Okay. And then this man, this man remixed it. And wrote a second one called Leck mir din Arsch find recht schon sauber, which loosely translates as lick my ass nice and clean. Oh, Jesus. And for this one, I actually have some English lyrics for you. Oh, yes. Are you ready? I I don't. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm not going to sing it, but I will recite it with gusto. Yes, I'm ready. Lick my ass nicely. Lick it nice and clean. Nice and clean. Lick my ass. That's a greasy desire. Oh, God. Nicely buttered, like the licking of roast meat. My daily activity. Ew. Three will lick more than two. Come on, just try it. And lick, lick, lick. Everybody lick his own ass himself. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I I have no words. I have no worries. He remixed it. He fucking remixed it. This man is an icon. Oh my god. Move this aside. This man is a Wap. legend. Move this aside. man. Everybody lick his own ass himself. 
buttery, greasy. People must have been extremely flexible in the 1700s. <laughs> and must have really not been, um, you know, had their noses didn't work properly because I would Licking not want to lick. Buttery, greasy ass <laughs> that's like roast meat. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just got... Oh, that a visual that I do oh, never, yeah. I never want to see oh, again. Yeah. I I think I had the same one. So thank you, Mozart. Um. Wow, <laughs> uh, that's something I will never forget. No, sometime uh, not too long ago, somebody decided to analyze this in an academic paper. Like Mozart's mentions of shitting and was about Mozart and scatology is what they call it. Okay. When you like like poopy humor. Ah. And they literally decided to create a theory that Mozart had Tourette's. What? My thought, I know. They're saying that because you know how like sometimes people with Tourette's just like can't hold in and they tend to say foul language yes when they're having like that can be one of the tics <clears throat> to that person who wrote that article i ask you how the fuck can you diagnose Tourette's from letters yeah because isn't writing it like and a- speaking are not the same thing number one and number two like no just no just no no, just no. No. I think that Mozart was funny, and people don't like to think of somebody who is as highbrow as Mozart to have such a lowbrow sense of humor. People do not want to think that Mozart probably sat in his bathtub and made his armpit fart and laughed about it with his wife. People don't want to think about that. Or that but he, I do. he sat I think about in the that. bathtub and farted and thought it was funny when the bubbles came up. And possibly tried to lick his own ass. I mean... <laughs> Hey, <laughs> that I, mm, okay. I mean, to each his own, hey. to each his own. You know what? We don't, we don't judge here. Mm-mm. It's 2020. But like, I think people just could not accept him for it. And early translations of his letters, like actually when I was doing this research, I found letters on Project Gutenberg and I was really excited because I was like, oh, this is going to have everything I need. Mm-hmm. In fact, it doesn't. Oh. They censored the shit out of him. Why? Because um, apparently people were no fun. Part of why I think it is, is, and we can kind of get this from the reaction of the former prime minister of the UK, Margaret Thatcher. Mm -hmm. You've heard of her, right? So she actually absolutely refused to believe this about him. She had seen the play that became the movie Amadeus. Okay. She, and in that, in the script and in the movie, like, you can see it, he is like that. Yeah. Um, he, like, he, like, talks backwards, um, which is something he did in his letters. He used to sign his name backwards as Nagflow Trasm. And, um, like, he was just fucking weird. Like, he was funny. He was, it was part of, I think, the fact that he was so smart. Like, he liked rhyming and, like, that sort of thing and, like, clever little whatevers. Um and poop humor just happened to be a part of that. So they incorporated that into the play in the movie is where I'm going with this. And Margaret Thatcher was like, I cannot believe, I cannot believe you would portray Mozart like that. And the writer was like, that's how he, he was. was. Yeah. And she was like, Mm-mm. so the guy literally sent her copies of his letters, the real letters. Yeah. 
And she still wouldn't believe it. She was like, no, this is a fake. So Margaret Thatcher, you can fuck right off because Mozart was cool. Um, and he likes poop he, and farts. He liked poop and farts. And again, it wasn't that weird at the time for people to like those jokes. His parents were like that too. Like, um, And it wasn't just isolated to the Mozart family, but it wasn't like he just had Tourette's and came up with this stuff himself. Like right. his mom actually writes a very similar phrase in one of her letters to her husband about the um, shit in your bed thing that, <laughs> that I read to you um, a little while ago. Yes, that lovely so piece like, of art. Yes. So, you know, he. this was just kind of how he was raised and how people were. It's not that weird. I think it's just nice to call attention to it because I think it humanizes somebody who fought so far away from his life. You know, he's almost inhuman. Like he's considered if not the greatest in my opinion he's the greatest <laughs> but if not the greatest classical composer or even just composer of all time he's one of them he's like monumental he's more he's beyond just a person he's more of just like a concept right of mozart and it's like we're not letting him be human anymore the human was so fucking cool yeah like he was a adorable and funny like and if we you read his letters like of that he was so genuine yeah like the letters even the ones that were censored like you still do get a sense of the more tame parts of his personality but he was like he was a really good son he was a good father husband friend like he was just really a nice dude but he was also fucking petty as shit. And that brings me to my second topic. Oh, man. I have just a few examples. I couldn't get into them all because I really wanted to focus on the letters. But I just wanted to bring up that this man was a petty queen. I love it. Petty so LaBelle. Mozart's. Oh, I like that. I've never heard that one. Shout out petty to uh, Gabby and Liz. They're the ones who say that all the time. And it's great. Um, so Mozart and his dad, Mozart really, really wanted to please his dad and like he loved his dad and was like a little trained little trick pony, but there were certain things on which they disagreed. Okay. And one of those was Salzburg. So Mozart grew up in Salzburg, Austria. Shout out to the house where his family lived because I was in it. Oh, fuck yes. Salzburg is a really awesome city now. Salzburg loves Mozart. Like, every corner, every store. Like, Mozart's face is fucking everywhere. They have a statue. They're, like, Mozart concerts. Like, it's, like, fucking... They're, like... They are, like, we own Mozart. He is ours. But at the time that he was alive, Mozart didn't fucking want to be in Salzburg. And the reason for that is because it was more of a provincial town at that time. It's still not a booming metropolis. It has a lot of old-world charm as a city, um, it's a little more poppin' than it was, though, at the yeah. time. Um, I imagine that, like, when he went outside every morning, he would be like, there goes the crackhead that I see each morning. You know, that yes. kind of deal. Yep. Yep. There must be more than this provincial life. Yes. There were all these musical capitals of the world, particularly Paris and Vienna, where he wanted to be. Right. That writing was, like, operas. where, where, where yes. you sh- if you wanted to be anybody, that's yeah. where you should be. Yes. And so when he was... His father got him a job with the Archbishop of Salzburg named Hieronymus Caledo. I guess that 
or something like that. That doesn't really fucking matter. Um, anyway, <laughs> the Archbishop okay. of Salzburg. He worked for him, and he wasn't paid very well. Was treated like a servant, basically. This Archbishop didn't really have a huge appreciation for the arts. He wasn't, like, commissioning operas. He just wasn't... Mozart felt that he was wasted there. Right. He wanted to be in a city like Vienna where he could really write operas, make a difference, find fame, whatever. He, and I don't think he understood why his dad didn't see why this was important. His dad just wanted him to have this stable, safe job. And he's like, you literally whored me around Europe when I was a kid. Right. Like, For what I purpose? Want, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't want to do this. His dad was like, this is a great position for you. Like, it's stable, blah, blah, blah. So Mozart kept trying to resign. And the archbishop kept being like, no, I'm sorry, I don't accept your resignation. And he was like, I am resigning. And he was like, mm-mm, nope. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm sorry, so, I don't hear you. <laughs> yeah. So then the archbishop's steward, one Count Arco, was also like trying to not get him to resign. And the one day they basically got into a fight and the, this guy literally, and Mozart wrote this in a letter, he kicked Mozart in the ass. He kicked <laughs> his butt, connect, his foot connected with Mozart's butt. Like, kicked him in the ass. And that was it. That was it for that job. Mozart was like, bye, bitch. You kicked me in the ass. And he left. <laughs> and he was like, I'm moving to Vienna. I'm becoming a freelancer. This is my life now. Like, I am going to go write operas. The emperor is going to commission me. I'm going to find a job at court. This is going to be fucking dope. Fuck you, Salzburg. Yes. And his dad was like, I am going to try to get you your job back. And he's like, what well, part of I don't want my job back? Don't the dude understand. kicked me in the ass. Yes, he kicked me in the ass. He's like, I am not ever looking at that count again. I will spit in his face. He called me a fucking rascal and a scoundrel. And like, you know, those were high insults for the time. Yes. So this left his relationship with his father a little bit rocky, needless to say. <laughs> he kept trying to get him to come home and Mozart was like, no, he wanted him to not marry his landlady's daughter, Constanza, who ended up being his wife. Yes. But he married her anyway. Like he just like he went into his little rumspringa. Yeah. Now, Mozart didn't live very long. He he lived to be 35. Yes, he was young. Like he was a youngin. We are we are getting up there to to Mozart death age. Yeah. So a few years before Mozart died, his dad died in 1787. Mozart died in 1791. Okay. And Mozart was still a little bitter about his dad. So Mozart, around a week after his dad passed away, Mozart's pet Starling passed away. And Mozart fucking loved his pets. He was an animal dude, by the way. So well, there you if go. he didn't like him for all the other things I said about him, he also really liked animals. And he loved this fucking bird. He did not go back to Salzburg for his father's funeral. But when this fucking bird died, he buried it like it was his fucking father. Okay? <laughs> he had mourners there in heavy veils. They marched in a procession. There were hymns. Mozart wrote a poem about the bird to honor it, and he recited it for his guests at this funeral. There was a tiny little graveside, and he buried this fucking starling in state, like, a week after his dad died, and he was like, 
I ain't going. Oh, my God. But the bird had a really great funeral. Wow. 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 Yeah. Petty AF. What a little shithead. This is, I know. This is my favorite example. And this is a little disputed. There's only one documented source that says this, but in case it is true, it's possibly my favorite thing about him. Okay. That he's ever done. I'm ready. Other than the canon Lech Michemarsh. Um, <laughs> there was this soprano singer that he really didn't like. Um, her name was Adriana Ferrarese del Bene. And he does, in fact, mention that she is a shitty singer in one of his letters to his dad. He does mention that he does not like her. He does an unfavorable comparison that basically means he thinks he's shit. And <laughs> she was supposed to be singing in his opera, Cosi Fantuti, or however the fuck you pronounce it. I don't speak Italian. She was singing in this thing, and the logical question is, why the fuck was he having her in his opera if he didn't like her? Well, she was boning his librettist. A librettist basically writes the lyrics. Okay. For your music. Got it. They, Yeah. So (laughs) he was like, I'm going to fuck with this bitch. He knew that she specifically, the way that she sang, she used to drop her chin really low on a low note and then throw her head back as far as she could on a high note. So he wrote (laughs) this aria that would make her jump from low to high over and over again (laughs) so that she would bob like a chicken on the stage. (laughs) That's great. Again, this is this is only from one source. It can't confirm it in multiple ways. But if it is in fact true, you king. You absolute fucking king. That is freaking amazing. That's all I have to say. And the last thing I'm going to leave you with before you open the Christmas season, aka fuck the holidays, <laughs> is that if you pay attention to Mozart's music, you will notice there are no trumpets. Okay. Not a, nary a trumpet to be found. Apparently, there is one lost trumpet concerto. And we only know that it exists because Leopold Mozart mentioned it in a letter. But he just didn't really write for trumpets. And you may be wondering, why didn't he write for trumpets? Yeah. Well, there's at least one reason. Trumpets were a little bit of a rarer instrument at that time. Okay. And also, they were a lot more crude than the trumpet we think of now. They looked quite different. Okay. But the most important reason that Mozart did not write for trumpets is that he was fucking terrified of them. Terrified of trumpets? Yes. Yes. A family friend wrote about this. And when Mozart was a little kid and he came over with his trumpet, Mozart was like, oh, fuck, no. He lost his shit. And Leopold Mozart, being the excellent parent that he was, was like, you need to blow your trumpet as my son. This is exposure therapy. Like, we're going to make him like trumpets. And this is what the friend said. The sound of this trumpet made him go pale and begin to collapse. And holding a trumpet in front of him was like, and I quote, aiming a loaded pistol at his heart. Stop it. (laughs) Now, I want, this was when he was a child. But I'm assuming he never quite got over it because um, he just straight up, straight up doesn't use them. The only brass instruments he really wrote for were horns. 
Um, he was cool with horns. We know horns were fine. Horns were okay. Um, <laughs> he loved his fucking woodwinds, his uh, reed instruments. They were all good. Oboe, clarinet, you know, like, mm, cool. Piano, always a good one. But trumpets, get those fucking things away. Fuck a trumpet. Yes. Wow. So I essentially, it was a little bit scattered, but I just wanted to share with you some little facts about Mozart that you may not have known because I fucking love him and uh, I thought it might be fun and I just want to leave you with one thing. I wish you a good night. Shit in your bed with all your might. (laughs) Sleep with peace on your mind and try to kiss your own behind. Oh my god, I love everything about that. I love everything. It's just... I can't wait till you listen to Lick Me in the Ass. Oh, I'm... Yeah, I'm... As soon as we're done recording, that is the first thing I'm going to listen to. It gives you, like, a good insight into, uh, you know, somebody who we're never, ever going to meet. Like, their personality, you know? Right? Like, he was, at the end of the day, like... Like a human. A a guy. Because, like you said, like, with people that we have no real, like... like true photos or like video evidence of you have no idea who they really were as a person because everything that's written down is based on their accomplishments not who they were as like a physical person especially when somebody is as monumental as he is right it's like like they all it's like you're blind like music has no language so like everybody around the world fucking knows him and we're really lucky to have his letters and that the originals that were censored weren't destroyed so that we could read that he stuck his finger in his ass and smelled he it. Farted. <laughs> <laughs> that is freaking great. Wow. I loved that. I'm so glad. Are you ready for mine? I'm so ready. Okay. Fuck the holidays. Fuck the holidays. So, like I said, I'm going to begin our holiday season. Um, we're probably going to record two episodes this month. I think both of us have a Christmassy themed uh, topic for next time, but uh, I oh, do uh, we ever? I kind of was interested in seeing what crazy and what the the most wanted Christmas gifts were throughout the year. You know, because we know about be <laughs> the fads and the crazy things that, like, when we were growing up, that you know, our parents or our grandparents, like had to, like, go and stand in lines for. But, like, I was just curious mm-hmm. to see before we had, like, all the electronic stuff that, you know, people want every year, what what did people want when it was, like, Christmas oh time? A single orange. A single orange. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's funny. So I'm not going to go too, too far back because, again, if you look, it's, like, people wanted nuts, like pecans and stuff for Christmas. <laughs> So, like, I'm trying to focus on, like, you know, 1920s on. Um, okay. So I'm going to start with the 1920s, the era of the Great Depression, all that, you know, all that jazz. So um, 1920 itself, the must-have toy during the Christmas season was when – so we know about Raggedy Ann, right, that creepy mm-hmm. doll – she gained a brother named Raggedy Andy, and that was based yes. on a series of books that were um, create a story book that featured Raggedy Ann, and then Raggedy Ann gets a brother, and this story 
was called the Raggedy Andy stories. And this featured Raggedy Andy and Raggedy Ann. So therefore the doll was created. So we had Raggedy Ann already and they created Raggedy Andy. And at this time in 1920, they actually started selling them as a pair. So Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy came together with this storybook, the stories of Raggedy Andy. Okay. So I tried to look, I tried as hard as I could to find um, the original prices of what people paid for these things at that time. The further you go back in history, the harder it is to find what people paid because oh, I can imagine the yeah. internet is just flooded with what they're selling for today. So if I couldn't find what they mm. sold for then, I tried to put what at least they're selling for today. But today, an original pair of Raggedy Ann mm-hmm. and Raggedy Andy together go for three thousand dollars. Jeez, yeah, which is crazy. I mean, you got to think about it. It's it's sometimes I get lost in like the years, but we're in twenty twenty, so that was a hundred years ago. So yeah. you're talking about a pair of hundred year old dolls. But three thousand dollars. Who the fuck wants dolls? Didn't we learn anything in our Halloween? Well, and that's the thing. Um, episode if like you, come on. If you know about Annabelle. Annabelle's a real haunted doll that the Warrens have in their museum, or did have in their museum. That was a Raggedy Ann doll. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a, it's a Raggedy Ick. Ann doll that was peed by a D <laughs> and placed in a glass box. Yeah. Gross. So, like, anytime I see Raggedy Ann or Raggedy Andy, it's like, they're creepy to me. They've got, like, the yarn yeah. hair and the black soulless I, eyes. I fucking hate. Ugh. Yeah, no. they're creepy. No, no, no. Um, $3,000. Get out of here. This one I thought was really interesting. I, I tried to focus on like toys because typically that's what you see when it comes to, you know, Christmas time and, you know, the big hitting gifts of the year. But I just thought this mm-hmm. was interesting. Um, in the 1920s, another huge selling gift around Christmas time was the perfume Chanel Number no. 5, which is a women's perfume. Oh, yes. But this I thought was really, really interesting. It gained a lot of popularity, and it actually was created because an assistant who worked for Chanel in, like, you know, manufacturing the perfumes added mm-hmm. a higher chemical dose to the mixture, and it made it more potent. So once it hit the market, it, like, went oh, I'll be damned. crazy. Like, it was, be, it was getting cleared <laughs> off the shelves because it was more potent than any of the other perfumes around that time. So it like went I've never smelled Chanel number no. five, but I've always wanted to. Yeah, I mean it was funny because I was looking at pictures and I was like, oh my God, like that they really haven't changed the bottle or anything, which is crazy. Yeah. And that's why that's cool. it's Chanel number no. five is because somebody accidentally put a little bit too much <laughs> chemicals in there and it was a little bit more potent than anything else. All right, here's one. Some of the stuff from the oh, older boy. times, I'm like That would never fly today, but um, 1924, the biggest selling Christmas gift, Flossy Flirt Doll. No. Squeeze me? (laughs) Yeah. It's a doll. Okay. It's a doll um, (laughs) that launched just in time for the 1924 Christmas season. This doll literally flirted with her eyes. She darted them back side to side. She winked and she blinked. It was a baby doll that flirted. That's so fucking pervy, I can't. So, like, yeah, let's just sexualize no. children's toys. That's that's great. Yeah. Ugh. It would never fly, but, like, yeah. It literally no. was called Flossy Flirt Doll. 
And because it was such a highly high ticket item, newspapers at the time actually published something called, quote, doll lady schedules, which outlined when and where dealers who sold the dolls would be. Oh, my God. So, like, once they flew off the shelves, people would, like, look at the newspaper to find out where these flirty floss, whatever the fuck it is, flossy flirt dolls were. And they would meet up with these dealers and do, like, a drug deal for this flirting, sexual, like, baby doll. It's crazy, oh right? Oh, my God. I got I had a lot from, like, the early times because I thought it was, like, really interesting. So, 1928, one of the highest-selling Christmas gifts. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Double bubble bubble gum. No fucking way. Yeah. And what's interesting about Double Bubble Bubble Gum is this was also created by accident. So a man named Walter Deemer at the Fleer Chewing Gum Company accidentally added the wrong mixture when he was mixing, you know, all the stuff together to make the gum that they were selling. Yeah. And whatever mixture he had made, it made the gum stretchier, less sticky, and prone to bigger bubbles than regular chewing gum at the time. So they wow. patented it as double bubble bubble gum. And the first five pound batch that was available sold in just one afternoon. That's five pounds. Like that's a huge. So if you're just buying individual pieces of gum or like five at a yeah. time, five pounds of gum and selling it in one afternoon, that's insane. So that's so weird. Yeah. So let's move on to the 1930s. Um, so 1930 flat was actually the first stuffed Mickey Mouse doll that was ever released. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, 1930, the first Mickey Mouse stuffed animal was commissioned by Disney. And at the time in 1930, uh, Mickey Mouse had already been around for two years because... Mm -hmm. Steamboat Willie came out in 1928. Um, so this stuffed Mickey Mouse actually increased his popularity because now this was a top-selling item. So we have that thing to blame for Mickey's enduring quality. <laughs> yes, yes. And if you look at it... You just won't ever fucking go away. <laughs> if you look at the stuffed Mickey from 1930, it's, it's kind of creepy. Like, it's not... Don't they look... The old Mickeys look different. They're yeah. scary. He's, like, I mean, very always scary, pointy but... and very jaggedy. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Um, he, a lot more like an actual mouse. He looks like he's made from, like, dried flesh. <laughs> like, leathered out flesh. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so him. gross. Um, oh, oh God, God. What's wrong with me? Oh, gross. Um, 1934, we have Buck Rogers' Ray Gun. This was from the first science fiction comic strip ever created, which was called Buck Rogers in the 25th century A.D. It was featured in newspapers. The replica toy gun, so this was a toy gun that mimicked the one that was in the comic, um, mm -hmm. sold for 50 cents around the holiday if you could get your hands on one. So in 1934, this toy gun that actually if you pressed the trigger, it made like a popping sound. Sold for 50 cents. If, like I said, if you could get it, if you could find it, because it was a hot ticket yeah. item. Let's move on to the 1940s. So 1942, we have the Little Golden Books. Yeah, 
That's when they oh started coming out. Oh my god, I had out. so many of those. So uh, something I didn't know is prior to little golden books actually being created, children's books tended to be like super high quality and expensive to get a children's book. So this was the little golden books kind of changed that for children as far as like books and you know like like the budget versions of books yes yeah the budget like the versions. Barnes and Noble classics versus the penguins <laughs> exactly um so these little golden books like I said they weren't as high quality as the other books that were being sold prior but um they sold for only a quarter in most places so a quarter a book which is I mean All in right. 1940s maybe that's I don't know what yeah that might have been like Five bucks. It wasn't maybe. It wasn't pocket change, but but it, it wasn't was crazy. It wasn't going to break the bank. No. And in the first year that Little Golden Books actually started producing children's books, hundreds of thousands were sold throughout the holiday season. Nineteen forty-five was the Slinky. That was <sighs> um, the hot ticket item in the holiday season. And again, I another love Slinkies. Yeah, me too. They're fascinating to me. They're fun. Yeah. I like to just hold them and like and this. swish them back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, this was another toy that was actually created by accident. So there was a man, Richard Ames, and he was a, me- um, a mechanical engineer. And he was designing springs when he knocked one over that was on a shelf. And he watched it walk down the shelf like a slinky does. So that's where he got the idea. That's so funny. I know, of creating a toy the slinky so the slinky and everyone loves it yeah everyone loves it. and it's like has anybody ever been disappointed by a slinky if you have i want to know i love slinkies i used to Something's get so wrong with mad you when disappointed like, by a slinky when you like if you ever had when you like messed it up and, and it, you ruined it yes and it like bent like, and it got like yes, all kinked. and then like you could never get it right yep. ever again yep. it just wouldn't sit compact it would always be like and you're like well fuck it now i gotta get it <laughs> Slinky. Yeah, now I got it. This is ruined. Slinky. It's trash. I had so many slinkies. I had an iridescent slinky that was like purple and that's pretty cool. And... I never. I had like a plain. I had like plain silver ones. So the slinky was wildly desired after 1945 um, when they did demonstrations of the slinky in like different department stores. So there was a department store in Philly that they were showing the slinky and what it does. And it kind of like spread and people were like, oh, this thing's really freaking cool. And then it became something that people needed in 1945. Here we go. Are you ready for this one? This one's, this one's Mm -hmm. good because this is, this is going to actually require (coughs) some, some audience participation. (laughs) (gasps) Ooh, I'm ready. (laughs) So 1952, we're moving on to the 50s. 1952, Mm -hmm. Mr. Potato Head. (gasps) Now, just wait. Just wait. Oh, okay. The original Mr. Potato Head literally was just a box that had a set of plug-in facial features that could be poked into a real potato. A potato. So literally Mr. Potato Head was all the parts, but you had to supply your own potato if you wanted to accurately use Mr. Potato Head. I, I had heard of that. <laughs> now, 
something about Mr. Potato Head that was different from all of the gifts prior was this was also the first toy to ever have its own dedicated TV commercial that was marketed directly towards children. Oh, wow. So that was pretty interesting, I thought. You know, this was the first time that they actually... The beginning of the end. The beginning, yes, the downfall of, uh, of society. Marketing to people who can't make decisions. Yes, Around a year later, that is when the plastic spud body came to be a staple with Mr. <laughs> Potato Head. Spud but body. prior to that, you had to supply your own body. Now, the first prototype, you know, where you have to supply the potato, made over $4 million in sales in only the first few months that it was available. So even though you didn't really get a Mom. body, you got all these just these random facial features, $4 million. At the time... The box of facial features cost 98 cents in 1952. Okay. Um, it came with hands, feet, ears, two different mouths, two pairs of eyes, four noses, three hats, eyeglasses, a pipe, and eight felt pieces that resembled facial hair. <laughs> now, what I want you to do, I want you to look up the original Mr. Potato Head and oh, I'm ready. You tell me how <clears throat> fucking creepy. I would not oh, be so able ready. to sleep at night if I had this thing just sitting on my counter in like this rotting potato body. <laughs> Isn't that frightening? You know, I don't think the problem is that it's a po- it's a real potato. No, it's the facial features. I think the issue is with those god awful features. Yes, yeah, they're very scary. What in the actual fuck. They're not even realistic human features. It's a no for me, dog. Yeah, very scary. Could you imagine waking up in the middle of the night? It's like 1950s. You're going to get a glass of water in your moo-moo nightgown. Maybe you want to get a cigarette, midnight cigarette. You need to grab your glass of water. The eyes of your potato are growing roots. (laughs) But you come around the corner. you. You come around the corner and that is what is sitting on your counter. I hate it. It's very scary. I absolutely hate it. This was the craze. This was the craze. For 98 cents, you could get a creepy fucking facial features to put on your rotting potatoes. People had horrid taste. Bad, bad. Yep. That's a distressing. Wow. Yeah, very, very. When I saw it, I was like, I can't stop. (laughs) They're very scary. Yeah. They're horrible. All right. So let's let's move away from from Mr. Potato Head. I'm ready to get away from that. (laughs) So it does not haunt our dreams. 1960s. So the big toy in the 1960s. Is Barbie going to come? Barbie was in there, but I didn't want to bring up Barbie because Barbie's kind of, Barbie was in a lot from 1960 on. It was in the upper categories. So like you had. And it was always like a different. Like the holiday Barbie. And then you had, you know, Ken came out and. You know, I mean, we know Barbie. This one was actually one that I've heard of, Chatty Cathy, the Chatty Cathy doll. I have heard of that, but I didn't know it came from a doll. Yeah, so the Chatty... I thought that was just some way people insulted. Maybe that, I I don't know. So the Chatty Cathy doll, that actually gave Barbie a run for her money. So they came out around similar times. Barbie came out a little bit before, but once Chatty Cathy came out, they were like neck and neck. And um, Barbie did surpass Chatty Cathy, but Chatty Cathy was the second highest selling doll of the decade. So what it was, was it was a girl doll and you pulled a string on her back and it Mm -hmm. spoke 11 different phrases. 
So, like, it's, like, that creepy, like, you pull the string. It's, like, I love you. I love you. I love you. That was Chatty (laughs) Cathy. So, like, this was the first kind of doll like that of its kind in the 1960s, you know, before you just had dolls. But this one actually spoke. She was manufactured by Mattel. So we know that name. Big, big name in the toy industry. And in the beginning of 1960, the suggested retail price of Chatty Cathy was around $18, but a lot of catalogs advertised her and usually priced her under 10 So again, okay. I don't know what the ratio is. Probably like <laughs> her MSRP. Her MSRP, <laughs> what she's, you know, what she would have been worth in today's time. But um, yeah, a lot of people purchased her for around $10, Miss, Miss Chatty hmm. Cathy. 1975. Like I said, there was lots of big ticket items that were super popular around the Christmas time. I tried to find, Mm -hmm. like, the interesting ones and maybe, like, the one-off ones. This one I found (laughs) completely ridiculous. Um, 1975, one of the top-selling Christmas gifts were Pet Rocks. Stop it. So what this was, was this was a company that manufactured... My My mom definitely had those. Yeah. They came in, they were literal rocks that came in a cardboard box with holes on the top, similar to what you would bring, like, a fucking hamster home from the pet store in. Yeah, or, like, a hermit crab or something. Yes, it was literally in, like, a little pack. And it comes, this is, this is what just blows my mind. It comes with a 32-page training manual. Stop it. How does someone come up with 32 pages of bullshit on how to take care of a pet rock. I'm impressed. 32 pages. Now, <laughs> pet rocks were short-lived. It was like one of those things that was like all the rage, but it died out super quick. In a span mm. of six months, which was pretty much the lifespan of this fad, over 5 million were sold in around 1975. Wow. 5 million. That's crazy. That's and a lot. in 1975, they sold for $3.98. Literally a rock in a cardboard box people paid at the time $4 for. I'm sure it's significantly higher what it would be today, maybe like $10 or $15. Yeah. But literally for a rock that you could find in your fucking backyard (laughs) and a 32-page bullshit training manual on how to take care of this fucking inanimate object. That's entrepreneurship. (laughs) I mean... If you take an idea and you run with it. Um, Amazing. So there's kind of a segue from 1970s to 1980s, which is Atari, because Atari originally um, came out in 1979, but didn't really get big until 1980. So I kind of have this as like a segue between 79 and 80. So during its original release, it actually wasn't majorly profitable. So the creators actually decided to rename it. So originally it was just Atari. They renamed it mm-hmm. Atari 2600. That's the huh. name of, like, a, I didn't know that. I just thought it was Atari. I didn't know that either. And for some reason, that seemed to catch on. But Atari <laughs> itself was the first home video game system that caused major chaos during the holiday season. I think this kind of set the stage for kind of that hype that we get every Christmas season of that new gaming system you know we had yeah. the Wii we had the Game Boys we had Xbox Xbox and now we have like PS5 this freaking yeah. year so I think this kind of started that like they mm-hmm. kind of took what happened with Atari and like the hype it got around the holiday season and they just carried that yeah. through the years Atari itself when it first was released it sold for $199 
But if we adjust that for inflation today. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it actually is the equivalent to $840. (gasps) Expensive. And who the fuck bought that for their kids? A lot of people. Oh, my God. $840 if we were, if we're, you know, inflation, if we're thinking about inflation. Who in the fuck has that kind of money? I don't know. The gaming system itself came with two joysticks, a combat cartridge, and there were eight games available for Atari, but they were sold separately. Of course. So, like, if you wanted more games, you had to purchase them. Bastards. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm assuming if it was $199 for the game, I'm assuming that the games separately were not super cheap. Probably not, no. Then we have, are you ready for this? Ready. Dun, dun, dun. We come to 1983. Can you think of what I'm going to tell you? No. Okay, so we're going to travel to 1983, where we are going to relive... The craze of the Cabbage Patch dolls. That's what I was thinking in my head, but then I was like, what if that's not when they... Oh, fuck. Yeah, 1983. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. <laughs> so the Cabbage Patch dolls. So usually this is what comes to mind when we think about that, like, crazy, like, we need this gift for the holidays and people going crazy to get gifts. A lot of people, like, think mm-hmm. back about the, the Cabbage Patch dolls. So I did. They're so hideous, too. They're so ugly. So the, the, they're tiny little eyes. And they're big. But they're big ass heads yeah, and cheeks and yeah, shit. Yeah, I don't like no. it. Here's the, here's the interesting thing about Cabbage Patch dolls is that they, the dolls that we know of today were actually created by an artist named um, Xavier Roberts in 1978. The original mm-hmm. dolls were actually called, quote, little people. And they were actually made of cloth and sold by him at local craft shows. So he created them. They were just these cloth dolls. And what happened was it caught the eye of Coleco. That was the name of the company that manufactured the the Cabbage Patch dolls, the first one. Now, it has since changed a lot of different hands of who owns the the name Cabbage Mm -hmm. Patch. But the original manufacturer was Coleco. So somebody from the company saw these dolls at a craft show and they started mass producing them. Like they bought the the idea from Xavier and then they just started like going crazy making these super creepy dolls. Here's this is just so fucking creepy to me. Coleco the company, so the the main head of the Coleco company bought Mm -hmm. an old hospital okay an old hospital that was no longer being used and that Mm -hmm. was their manufacturing plant for the cabbage patch dolls which was named babyland general hospital now just wait it gets better this (laughs) babyland general hospital which really is just a manufacturing plant That's where they create these dolls. However, it's presented to the public as the birthing, nursery, and adoption center for all Cabbage Patch dolls. Ew. No, just wait. Just wait. Even further. Even further than that. If that's not just, like, fucking creepy enough for you, the staff are dressed and 
acted the parts of doctors and nurses and cared for the baby dolls as no. if they were real. No. No, I'm not lying. Who the fuck would want that job? That's so fucking creepy. Isn't that so scary? No. It's so, no. so creepy. So <sighs> each doll came with an official looking birth certificate. And like I I have heard that. And yeah. they look like legit. So that kind of like also <sighs> because they come from like a hospital with this birth certificate that are handled by like doctors and nurses, like super creepy. This kind of just increased the demand for the dolls. So the craze for these dolls was the Christmas of 1983. And the demands for the dolls were so high that, and the dolls became so scarce because everybody was just buying them that people <laughs> physically fought each other to get their hands on them. Like in department stores, people would just be swinging at each other to get these fucking dolls. Like actual fights were breaking out. Riots broke out. I read this oh one God. news article where they interviewed a guy who owned a Zaire um, department store. It must have been something from the 80s. Mm-hmm. But this actually happened in Wilkes-Barre, PA, that in the oh. newspaper article, a riot broke out in his department store. And he literally had to use a baseball bat to protect himself because people were going no. that fucking crazy over these stupid, creepy dolls. <gasps> Like, oh my insane. God. People are, wow. Yeah. So they said that they would open the doors of the store and in a matter of minutes, the dolls would be completely gone. Like people just wiped the fucking shelves clean of these dolls. People are insane. I know. So the original suggested re- retail price in 1983 was $25. Most places sold them for 30 However, some stores even sold them for $50 and they just made profit off of these profit, dolls because yeah. everybody wanted them. So people would buy that's them and they would like sell them. Up. Yeah. And that's the thing. People would drive like crazy amounts to just get their hands on one of these dolls. Some stores even had shipments of these dolls delivered to them in armored trucks. Because people no. would just fucking attack these trucks when they would pull up. No. Yes. And no. um, even ads, they started pulling ads from TV to try and calm down the hysteria. Like they started pulling the Cabbage Patch doll commercials. So that is the Cabbage Patch craze. That's kind of what started the idea of like people are going fucking nuts. So let's move on to the 90s. So these are some things that I definitely remember that were in high demand. Some of them I don't. I'm not going to go over all of them. But some of them that I remember is um, 1995 Beanie Babies. That was a huge thing to and the Christmas time. Yeah. So they had been around. Me too. And I don't know where any of mine are. So the Beanie Babies had been around for a little bit, but the reason the craze over the Beanie Babies started was because the inventor, Ty Warner, he st- he discontinued um, a stuffed lamb named Lovey. And he found mm-hmm. that when he told customers that certain characters or toys were being retired, it drove up the demand for people to start buying more of them. So he just started mm-hmm. randomly 
retiring Beanie Babies. So it like caused this craze in people where they just like. Yeah, I actually remember that. Yeah. And they would be like, this one isn't going to be around for yeah, much longer. Yeah, so it caused this hysteria where people just needed to buy them. And like people went crazy yeah. over it. I couldn't find out how much they originally sold for. I think that they varied in price depending on. I think I they think did they too. Were like a like set. I know, like the horse derby was cheaper than, say, like the Princess Diana bear. Right, like, right. So just to put into perspective, there are people who like trade and sell Beanie Babies, like on eBay. Like it's like like a serious. I really wish thing. I still had mine. Yeah. So just to put into perspective, one seller, for example, sold a set of two Princess Diana special edition bears. In uh-huh. mint condition. Guess how much someone paid for these two special edition Princess Diana bears? $386,000. You're you're closer than what I thought you, you would have said. $660,000. Well, shit. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say like 70000 Oh, yes. wow. I'm impressed. Yeah. Six. Like halfway, over halfway yeah. there. So you hey. got like the price of one. <laughs> you right. $660,000 for two special Damn. edition Princess Diana. Diana. Yeah. Crazy. That's impressive. Yeah. There's like a whole market of people who like sell I had the Diana bear and my stupid ass took the tag off it. Oh, Jesus. So we move on to 1996. This is another big one. Tickle Me Elmo. <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. Tickle Me oh Elmo. God. Yes. yes. Uh, so this is one of the other creepiest things aside from. I think from, my little brother had one of those. This is one of the other creepiest things aside from the original potato head. Super creepy. <laughs> they hit the shelves in July of 1996, but they actually didn't even get their craze until the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Because, and it's only after Rosie O'Donnell featured I was it. I say, weren't they on a TV show? Yes. yes. Rosie O'Donnell. So somebody brought one or one of the manufacturers gave her one to give to her son who was a year old at the time. And she brought it onto her show. And that was in the you end of October. That's how my brother got it. Because my grandma watched Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> Once we get into the Ow. 90s, man, it's all going to start coming back. Oh, my back. God. Yeah. This is getting so much more fun. Yeah. Weird potato, potato head. Potato, potato, yeah. So <laughs> the toy inventor, Ron Dubrin, that's the one who created this idea. He wanted to create a... T- which this is, to me, this is just Uh-oh. so creepy. And I know it's probably innocent, but to me, I just, he wanted to create a toy <laughs> that mimicked children on the playground tickling each other into hysterics. No, nah, that's weird. Right? I think that's weird. It's so specific. I find that weird. <laughs> Here's another <laughs> creepy thing. So the original prototype was actually called Tickles the Chimp, but it no. resembled something that kind of looked like the Tasmanian Devil creature and it was a little aggressive like it was like scary (laughs) so luckily if we have to have a a tickling creature of any sort luckily he landed a licensing agreement with sesame street to use elmo as his ticklish friend that he wants to sell (laughs) so creepy thank god so once the toy actually gained popularity after being on rosie o'donnell people went fucking bonkers about this stupid (laughs) fucking tickle me elmo one store clerk in canada was actually trampled to death 
by a stampede of customers. <gasps> no! Yes. To death? To death, who saw him being handed a box of the toys to stock. They trampled him to death in Canada. Yeah. Fucking crazy. That, like, literally, like, my chest clenched. Imagine dying when you're just trying to do your job because people want a fucking ticklish toy. Yeah. So they originally sold for no. twenty eight ninety nine, and once they sold out everywhere, they were starting to be sold on the black market for hundreds of dollars. Like this was the thing, like to find Tickle Me Elmo on the fucking black market, and people would pay hundreds of dollars. I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. It's insanity. Here's the craziest thing. So Cartier put a Tickle Me Elmo in its window on their Saks Fifth Avenue store. With a diamond necklace around its neck and a bracelet that together combined was worth a total of $1 million, advertising that Tickle Me Elmo was free with the purchase of the pair of the necklace and the, the bracelet. <laughs> like, that's pretty clever, but like a million dollars to get a free fucking oh Tickle Me Elmo doll? Yeah, they had it in their Stop. window. Crazy. That must have tantalized people walking by who wanted that. I know. Thing. They probably had to put it into like security, like at every night. Like a special box, like Robert the doll. Yes, yes. <laughs> so then we move on to 1998. Furbies. <laughs> God, those things were Oh, I had a couple of them, and they were my jam. I loved my fucking Furby. Really? I never wanted one. I thought they were too scary. Mm -hmm. So I thought they were evil, too, because my friends would always be like, yeah, it just, like, starts to talk in the middle of the night. Well, like, so I didn't know a lot of this. I just, I, I don't know if I was just oblivious to some of this stuff. But so the Furby is this fluffy owl-like creature robot thing that was the must-have gift in 1998, selling 40 million in its first two years of production. They were everywhere. Yeah, so when you first buy the Furby, it originally speaks a language called Furbish. Furbish. Furbish, yes. yeah. Yes. But over time, which I don't think I remembered that it did this or that I knew that it did this, but over time it can learn to communicate in English the more that you interact with it. Furbies were not okay. Like, they were just. I just okay. didn't know that. So well, you were a kid. Yeah, I don't know. I just loved my fucking. Uh, my, my natural instincts were better than yours. I guess. I guess so. So here's the thing that I vaguely remember: they originally sold mm -hmm. for thirty five dollars, but around Christmas, stores hiked up the prices to around a hundred dollars. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah, they like spiked the retail oh, value. Shit. Let's get to the funny part of the Furbies. So, like you said, they're yeah, I'm so ready. creepy. <laughs> The Furby actually created some controversy, so I did a little bit of deep dive, and there are some wild myths that people truly believed in the 90s about the Furbies. Are you ready for them? Oh boy. I'm ready. Number one, parents thought Furbies were teaching their kids swear words. <laughs> in 2000... One Walmart removed some of the Furbies from its shelves after customers complained. Apparently, the Furby was saying a phrase in English that was supposed to be hug me, but it sounded like something else. <laughs> and I think because of its creepy accent, it probably was like, fuck me, fuck me. And they were like, oh, shit. <laughs> but, like, that's the thing. Like, the more the kids talk to it, apparently oh it can God. learn English. So if... if your Furby is saying curse words is because your kid's a little shit and it's saying freaking curse words to it. <laughs> Dumbasses. 
Number two, oh my God. people thought Furbies could launch a space shuttle. <laughs> I what? Know. I don't know. What? People thought that Furbies could land, launch a space shuttle. Oh, my Number God. Number three, the NSA and the Pentagon thought that Furbies were a national security threat because no they could Recording? record and repeat conversations. Yep. Yeah. People thought <laughs> that if you had a Furby near medical equipment, the medical equipment would go haywire. It was battery operated. I don't know what these people were thinking. And the last one, people thought Furbies were made out of real cat and dog hair. No. Yes. There were people who actually wrote petitions to the SPCA to do investigations to make sure that the Furbies were not made out of cat and dog hair. Did PETA, like, protest them? Yeah. Drop, like, paint over their little Furby bodies? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, so that was the 90s. Just some of the things from the 2000s that I came across. The Razor Scooter. That was oh, a yes. huge thing. Mm-hmm. Razor scooters were huge. We got brats. Did you have one? I did have one. I did have one. I had a pink one. I didn't. I didn't have one. Um. So <laughs> I another memory. I distinctly remember I wrote it like a few times, but I did not like it because... It like, <laughs> and anybody out there who is like our age who had a razor scooter, they can they can sympathize with this. The thing that you put your foot on, it, like the whole thing was made out of metal, but the thing that you put your foot on was significantly like the board. Yes, was significantly heavier. So like, if you at all lifted it off the ground, that thing where you the board would come back and swing and hit you in the fucking shins, and it was the most painful. <laughs> pain you would ever (laughs) feel in your life if you unbalanced your razor scooter and that fucking board (laughs) came and swacked you right in the fucking shin it fucking hurt so yeah i didn't like that i didn't like the scooter because i'm glad i didn't have one it was dangerous we had the brat stalls yes beyblades i think my brother had beyblades that sounds familiar robo sapien it was that white and black robot that like talked and moved around 2005 is when Xbox 360 was released, and 2006 was when the Wii was released. Ah, the Wii. The Wii, yep. 2007 was the iPod Touch. 2009, Zuzu Pets. They were like the little fuzzy looking like hamsters that like just like ran around. Um, And then we have the Hatchimals. Remember when that was a big craze like a couple years ago, the Hatchimals? And then this year we have the PS5, which is a big to-do. So that is... To-do is right. Yes. (laughs) That concludes my uh, crazes of Christmas gifts and fads throughout the year. So uh, please... Now I'm really in the fuck the holidays spirit. Yeah, please please refrain from trampling people if uh, you're out to get that. Don't kill somebody for whatever... Oprah talks about on TV this year. No, for Tickles the Chimp. <laughs> Please don't. Please be kind to each other. Yes. I mean, wear your mask. Fuck the holidays, but be kind to each other. Shop on Amazon instead. Yeah. And like, trample Amazon. That was another <laughs> thing that I thought about. It was like, it's crazy to think back that if we wanted one of these A list hot ticket items, we had to actually physically go to the store and, like, fight our way through crowds of people to get the item. Like, we didn't, in the 90s, we didn't have Amazon. We didn't have these websites where you could buy something and then the next day it's at your door. Like, mm-hmm. please be smart, people. Do your shopping online. Don't go out to the stores if you don't have to. <laughs> 
please leave toilet paper for the rest of us. And uh, paper <laughs> That's towels. That's the hot ticket item of Christmas 2020. It's, the t- it's on the top of my list. Paper products. <laughs> paper products. That is to get us into the uh, fuck the holidays yeah. mood oh. for sure. I am in the spirit. Yeah. I'm ready for, get ready for our next episode where we talk about uh, more Christmassy things. More Christmassy things, yes. Yes. Alternative Christmassy things. Yes, it's going to have a little bit of a mischievous vibe to it next time. It might be a little German. So yeah, um, as per the usual, um, you guys can find us pretty much anywhere at TO2C Podcast. We've got our Instagram, our Mm -hmm. Twitter. You can email us. Gmail account. Yeah, Gmail, TO2C Podcast at Gmail. If you want to send us ideas, we certainly would love to hear from you guys. DM us on Instagram your ideas. Yeah, you can slide right into our DMs. Um, And again, you can find us where you listen to your podcast if you would like to share that information with anyone else. Um, So yeah, until next time. Das Vidania. Goodbye.